how did um, artwork kind of play into that? Because I think that that likely be valuable because uh, you think of some of the work you're doing now where people are watching you. They're um, like walking past when you're working on a mural or something. So how did that evolution kind of take place into working on art and having that? I imagine you need confidence in order to to make art and to to push yourself in that way. For sure. Yeah. Uh, so going back a little bit before that that time working in table games, uh, I would travel a lot between um, living in Nanaimo as a child and coming here to Chilliwack. Two hours was a ferry ride. I could bring my art supplies with me. And I did a type of art that's like stippling, pointillism. And the ferry was perfect for it because if I relaxed my hand, uh, the the vibration of the boat would provide the motion for me. And all I had to do was kind of steer my pen and the um, keep one arm on the table and the boat would move my hand. And I would need like, you know, 90 or 100 hours to complete a piece because wow. there were millions of dots. And uh, people always were just helping themselves to either stand and watch or actually engage. And so from a young age, uh, I made lots of um, acquaintances with people who, and wanted to and they wanted to talk about art. And they would often think it wasn't mine, even though I was doing it. Wow. And and I learned that I had to be able to speak to it before they would believe that it was even mine. Wow. And um, that carried on, like that carried on through. It wasn't just the stippling art. Um, I did get into a, a, a bad car accident and I couldn't do the stippling art anymore. And so moving into uh, a different style of art and eventually into murals, I would be painting a mural. And if I had a male assistant, whether it was like someone we'd hired or it was my brother, people would approach the male on the site before they would approach me and they would ask them if they were the artist. Uh, and so again, uh, confronted with this strange, you know, preconception that people have about male artists uh, being the leaders, uh, I had, um, I dove a little bit deeper into my own understanding of how to speak to what I was doing how to evolve the practice. And a lot of that happens behind the scenes in, um, you know, day to day or in, in kind of sketching and, and, and dreaming and envisioning something. What can I do that that's unique in a day and age when everything's been done? Right. Uh, and really it's just been a process of kind of putting things together. Yeah. Uh, things that already exist, putting them together, taking a look at them and and kind of studying how light affects different spaces and angles and 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 things. Wow. And you mentioned that you got into an accident. Was that difficult to not be able to do the stippling anymore? Like, was that like a moment of like, oh, no, or was that like, a, this is no big deal. I can just transfer over to a new thing. Like, what was that? Like, it wasn't easy. Okay. It wasn't easy at all. And I had to quit uh, the job that I was doing as well because the um, the part of my um, body that was most affected was my wrists. Right. And I think I had kind of centered my, um, my identity around my ability to create certain things and to do certain things. Right. I was young and I thought, if this is what I'm doing, this is who I am. 
and so I could no longer uh, deal blackjack or or dice, um, and I couldn't do fine work anymore without uh, really bad pain in the wrists. And I thought I was going to quit. I said that to a couple of people who are really close to me. I, I'm just going to quit. Um, and it took somebody who was also an artist to say, you don't quit being an artist. You, you don't just shut it off. Um, it's who you are. It's how you see the world. It's it's in you. And nice, you know, nice that you, you say that, but let's see what else happens. Uh, and I was um, sitting around a lot because no, I like to keep my hands busy. And at the time, I, I had nothing really to keep my hands busy. I was wearing these braces that just held them in place. And inside the brace was like a kind of a quarter inch gap. And uh, because I was still seeing images, images were coming to me, I thought, how else can I create that? What else can I do? And I went to the paint store and I bought a paintbrush and this is how I brushed my teeth. I put the toothbrush in that quarter inch gap between the glove and the brace. And I would just kind of hold one hand with the other hand and brush my teeth in this strange motion. And so I thought, why couldn't I just put a paintbrush in there? And so I jammed a paintbrush in there and just started painting. And I thought, I would keep that up as long as I needed to. And eventually I could, um, I had some physio and some acupuncture and uh, did some, you know, meditation for healing and began to overcome this wrist issue and uh, kept the style. And the style really evolved after that. Wow. That has got to be such a journey to kind of reinvent yourself. And like, it, it sounds like you're here now and like I think for people it's easy to look at and go like wow you're this incredible muralist and like you've shared such great works but to go through that kind of journey would have been such a challenge you also talked about how you envision um, making artwork where did that come from for you was that as a child you always were able to like envision uh, making artwork or, or putting things together or when did that kind of come into your life yeah it's, it's been with me as long as I know uh, it like a if you open up my childhood school memories folders, uh, I was talking about wanting to be a painter at four and five years old wow. because I was always painting, always drawing. And you know uh, how they say you got to have your 10,000 hours. That's a thing. Um, I spent those hours really, I think, cartooning and tracing. And even though cartooning and tracing uh, are not uh, seen as um, high high art. What they did was they trained my my lines. So I trained my lines on uh, on uh, I like clean lines. I like smooth arcs. Uh, I, I like a nice circle and and on and on. And a lot of that came, I think, from what I was tracing as a child. So I spent a lot of time copying things in order to better achieve like what I was seeing kind of in my own mind. And I can't even begin to create some of the things I see. I see them and I'm just like, wow, where do you even begin? What are the materials? What is the style? Like, what is that? It moves or, you know, and, and, and I'm so limited with 
a 2D medium, for the most part, I can't do everything I, I see. But the things that I do see that look like they can be done in a 2D medium, I'll puzzle over them for sometimes weeks and months to to gr- get a better grasp on how to how to make it real. Wow, I have heard a little bit about that. I heard about um, someone who's like a member of the Kwakwak uh, First Nation, and from my understanding, he would have dreams, uh, like full visions of like animals and like uh, he would have like mythological stories kind of in his mind. And so I'm interested to know more about how, how these visions come about or do they come when you're sleeping or during the daytime? When do they, when do they typically happen for you? Um, I've looked for the pattern. I've looked for it. And the best way I can kind of describe the moment when they come is like in between the in breath and the out breath. They're that fast. Like I'm taking a breath, I pause, it's there, I'm breathing again, I can't see it, where did it go, what was it, you know? And it's not like a a, a, a sustained dream or vision, it's a, a fleeting thought. Right. And, and, and so I've had to really train myself to absorb as much as possible in a fleeting thought. Yeah, mm-hmm. like it's like an inspiration that just comes to you. Have you ever had one that came and then you missed out on it? And mm-hmm. what, what was that like mm-hmm. to kind of go, that's that's brilliant, and then it's, <laughs> it's gone? It's frustrating. Yeah? Yeah, and and um, sometimes they come back. Sometimes they, they keep coming back, and they come back and back and back, and they'll evolve a little bit, and it gives me a better chance to absorb it. But sometimes they just go, and it's... It's like, oh, I guess that was just for that moment, you know. Do you, where do you think that it comes from? Because I imagine that like the, the, it would be like a creator or like that it comes from somewhere. Where do you think that it comes from? Because do you think that they're usually positive? Do you think that they're sometimes negative? Like, um, how do they feel? Um, we, I, I remember having a conversation about this with some peers in uh, theater school and we would we'd sit down and talk about our uh, we pool our thoughts together, and we were talking about song catching one time because there was a a Cree fella and a Blackfoot fella and a couple of Stalo ladies and a Wet'suwet'en and a Beaver Cree and we would we'd really sit around and we'd challenge ourselves to um, articulate what it was we were seeing or feeling, and our teacher would challenge us as well, and. Um, what it, we we said? What if the same song comes, but we hear it through our own cultural and and personal filters? Right. And so this guy hears it, but he hears it in his own in his own way, and and it, and maybe he catches it, maybe he lets it go, and and then maybe someone who sings opera catches it, and they sing it through their filter, because it's so much about feeling, and it. And it's so much about energy. And so to be an artist and and capture something that's visual is also about capturing an energy. Uh, Where does it come from? I I don't quite understand that like fabric of the universe uh, because it's it's intangible. Um, But I think it comes from beyond, you know, us. Maybe some of it comes from Earth, but it always, always comes through these filters, cultural filters, Character filters, 
uh, how my brain works, right? It goes through all of those and then and then I see it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you think that other people perhaps, like I've never had that, I've never had um, such an experience, mm-hmm. um, but it seems like it would be moving. What is, what is it like to kind of be one of one in that you um, and like a select few get it in that way? Like perhaps you have the opera singer who gets it in a different way, yeah. but what is it like for you to get those experiences? I'm not, uh, I'm not in, I don't think I've reflected on that. Okay. That it, that I just assumed everybody had their own version of it. Yeah. Uh, I I do feel like sometimes with some of them, those, those moments, I do feel like I've got to make it happen. Um, And, and, and sometimes the, the idea of it, maybe not the imagery of it won't leave me alone. And those, those images that burn in the back of my brain and say, make me, make me, um, they don't wake me up at night, thankfully. <laughs> Some people say they, they can't sleep or they don't, you know, they, they wake up at 3 a.m. I'm a pretty good sleeper, uh, but when I'm awake during the day, I'll hold on to it. And sometimes I'm holding on to like three or five ideas and waiting for the right moment. And if it means I'm doing three other things, I'm cleaning the kitchen and I'm already doing this art project and I have to go somewhere later and I know I'm busy. The idea is like, no. <laughs> and I know if I don't drop everything and do that, it's not going to come back with the same energy. Right. So uh, my people in my household very know well if I have one of those moments that they will just leave me to it because the things that are born of those energies are some of my favorite things. That's amazing. And how how often does it end up being that you get to make artwork that is from those experiences? Is it usually like a majority of the time or is it less than? I, I wish I could say it was the majority, but the the current occupation I have is seeing through the visions of um, clients. Right. Um, and and it's, it's really rewarding uh, and it, it satisfies my artist a lot to work with clients and bring their kind of ideas to the space. I don't do it as often as I'd like to, but I know I'll have time someday. Uh, And when I do have time or make time, (laughs) if I drop everything and and do it, it's probably like once a year or a couple times a year. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've I've gotten to talk to Lucas Simpson, who's another uh, muralist in Chilliwack now, um, and David Shearer, who's also another artist uh, who makes Copia Line Publishing. And they have kind of this similar feedback that one of the struggles they face is making sure that what what they feel is still still has time that it doesn't become too much about the like the sales and the working for clients and stuff has that been something that you've tried to balance or or struggled with to get motivated for something that perhaps isn't your own there's a, a there's like a a certain list i have of of where the priorities are right and i i i'm not super vocal about it because some of it has a nuance of cultural responsibility to it. And so, um, you know, the murals and, and the logo commissions and the book commissions uh, pay the bills uh, and they feed the, and I've learned how to kind of feed the artist with them because it's new and I get to have ideas of my own and um, seeing people excited like they curated something for the first time is is so fun. Uh, and there's this 
there's also this like I, I really have to kind of fight the offers and the urge to go full commercial with with my work um be that through one of those uh licensed image production uh companies like um I won't say any names but we see them out there and they're making oven mitts and baby books and all kinds of cool stuff uh I I do fight the offers within myself because the offers come in and and it's steady money and that's appreciated for for an artist I think but I don't want uh, my intent to be to serve a dollar. Uh, and so right now in intention is is very important. And if if somebody comes along and they need um, art for cultural reasons, whether they're having a memorial or they're having uh, say something for ceremony and they want a, something specific on it, um, I think that's what the gift is for. Um, as much as the gift provides to me, the gift is to um, to give it away. And so there's never any money attached to art for ceremony or, or cultural needs. Um, there's always this like uh, this understanding that it'll come back somehow. Sometimes it's directly from the person. Sometimes it's other things. I don't know yeah. exactly how that works. Um, but the the overall, the the motivation to make the art can't be money. If I if I start to think that way, it almost just shuts off the inspiration. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I find that really interesting because this podcast is called Bigger Than Me because it's about people who look beyond themselves and who understand their role in the community and who are able to try and be role models, set positive examples. And I think that it's really beautiful that you're able to see the importance of your art for the sake of the community. And it's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is because I think it's so important to give people access to our culture. It's That seems like something that's it's taken longer than I think many would have liked because we've heard about the atrocities and people need to know about the horrible things that have gone on and the abhorrent legislation but we also need to feed the culture and give them an understanding of what they almost destroyed what uh, Canadian society almost removed from our society and that we would have been worse off as a consequence had they been successful Um, everybody would have been worse off because uh, we would have missed out on the beauty and the culture and the wisdom and the knowledge that exists exists within the artwork, within the language, within the stories. And I think that your ability to share that with people gives them that window into the beautiful nature of something that was almost lost, like trying to stomp out a flower and having that flower be able to survive and grow as a consequence. I think that's the example you set. So I'm just interested to know what it's been like to be able to share your artwork with the community and kind of the response it's gotten, because it's been overwhelmingly positive from what I've seen. It's pretty positive. Um, and, and you know, what you're saying is, is really, is really important. And I, I feel like I'm, uh, I'm from a family who shares that the value of that. Yes, we know what's been done. Yes, we know where we've come from. And I, and we always say we, because we understand we're not separate. And I, I think it's important for um, settler Canadians to understand as well that when 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 a young person uh, or or middle-aged person or an elder is 
feeling affected by something that happened 100 or 200 years ago that didn't happen directly to them, that they're, they're tied by, by blood and by memory and by uh, collective history and by values and, and culture and traditions and tied, tied, tied a thousand times to these people who experienced it. And we have empathy, deep empathy. Uh, and so when I work uh, with those with those values, I, I often think of my think of um, you know where where am I coming from if I was new to this understanding? Who's my audience? And a lot of that comes from theater and music. Who's your audience? How are you going to relay a message to them so that they can receive it if they think differently than you? Uh, and oftentimes people do receive my artwork the wrong way. Um, I'm currently working on a big mural at a school and the kids are misinterpreting the messages uh, in the pieces, even though it's part of their curriculum. That doesn't look like a beaver. That doesn't look like a wolf. What's that? No, that's not an eagle. Um, and I, I, I stand with my back to them because I'm painting but I, I pause and, and really think about how they're just honoring what they know uh, and, and they're, they're growing in their understanding of the world around them and that the piece that I'm creating will expand that understanding. And maybe they'll see that wolf every day for six years and they'll, and they'll know what a wolf looks like through a Coast Salish lens. And they won't say that to someone and they'll teach their kids and their kids won't say that because it, it, it almost cuts me. And so at the same time that there's these, these misunderstandings that happen um, on the sites, there's some really beautiful understandings that happen as well. One little guy came sprinting around the corner at a middle school and he, I heard him running and stopped in his tracks and he said to his friend, look, she's painting a Hulkamalum wolf. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's not a Hulkamalum wolf, but he, his reference to our culture and our world is through the language. How beautiful is that? Yeah. What a world we're living in here in Chilliwack where our, our young people are looking at us through a first lens of language. That's so cool. I couldn't agree more. And that is a beautiful story. But what is it like to have your art misinterpreted? You said that it cuts. I can't imagine what that experience is like, because it is like you're sharing a part of yourself. And there is like a certain level of vulnerability to putting that out there. Um, <laughs> I, I just did a podcast a little while ago, and somebody wrote just a comment being like, nobody wants to hear this. Like, and it was a negative comment. And it hurt because that's my biggest, my biggest fear starting this is, am I wasting people's time? Am I like, there were a lot of fears starting this. And am I the right person to do this. So I'm interested to know what that experience is like for you to have those misinterpretations. Mm, they they do happen and it's it's a I suppose it's my job not to take it too deep. Uh it's really always a reflection of where someone else is at. Uh I I have doubts. I have super vulnerable moments and some of them come from the bulk of work that's coming my way. How am I deserving of this? And 
and and so I uh, what where some artists are saying like oh I'm struggling I have no opportunities M- my struggle right now is how to say no uh, and and so I'm trying to pull in other artists or other young people to help me achieve these so that I can begin to uh, uh, share something and they're they don't know me and 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 without being super defensive i just have to sit with the fact that i'm doing what i'm doing for my intentions and my reasons i'm honoring what i understand are the 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 principles that have been passed forward of coselish art which is a language within itself um i'm respecting them to a degree i'm altering them to a degree but i i personally don't believe I'm altering them outside of those principles and that means a lot to me and if I um if I stretch them a little bit too far uh, I, I might feel that in in the work um but this this understanding of why I'm doing what I'm doing and when I do it is is the bigger thing um and it and it kind of overrides at the end of the day right we can zoom out and say ah oh, this is the benefits and this is the outcomes and you know this this one time when i was able to turn around and give to 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 this person or this organization and and it rippled out from there those help me through those moments. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that that's amazing because um, I'm in law school right now. And one of the topics that I'm working on is Jonathan Burroughs is one of the foremost leaders in Indigenous um, understandings of legal traditions and trying to find a way to incorporate that into um, the Canadian legal system. And uh, he's done great work. And I was just reading a piece by him where he was talking about how um, oral traditions don't necessarily get the respect they deserve. Um, but like, examples of you just saying that like you can feel whether or not you're within the principles whether or not you're following them and he talks about how indigenous people often learn the rules and how to abide by natural law through teachings about um, how the insects interact with nature and how the trees interact and when elders share that information they're sharing legal principles they're just not calling it legal principle training um, (laughs) the way that our like our kind of approach to law is treated and so your ability to kind of make that comment of I can I can feel it and I know these broader principles that I'm supposed to fall within and I know and I can feel whether or not I'm falling in with it is like that example of how oral traditions are strong. Um, they're just not written down. They're just not documented the same way. But that doesn't make them less valuable. Mm-hmm. And I think that I'd like to know more about how you kind of approach these these principles and where do they come from for you? Is this taught to you um, by elders or is this something you just feel? and that you know after seeing other artwork that you want to make sure that you respect that let me think there's a few there's a few things here and um you know one of them is that there there was a a resurgence of of coast salish uh design and we really have those now elders to thank for the work that they've done um to to pick up a design style that wasn't viewed as uh, as in the same class, let's say, as other North Coast styles, but to be true to it anyway. I, my my hands are up to those elders because right now we're in a different time, 
And people do have a bit of understanding and value for Coast Salish design that they didn't have in the 70s and the 80s, maybe even the 90s. Uh, so I'm really grateful for that work. It, it's a lot like being gra- grateful, I think, to uh, to the elders who stepped out of the closet and helped us be where we are today in our collective welcoming and understanding of, of people on the spectrum. So uh, on the gay spectrum. So back to the art. Uh, when I began, I knew I was doing it wrong because my el- one of my elders told me I was doing it wrong. Um, and she referenced a couple of artists who were following the principles and said, really look at what they're doing. Um, it's it was at one point um, an idea of mine to seek out funding and then to go see Susan Point, um, but she didn't answer any of my well-written emails. I still adore her uh, and have met her since, and we've had some laughs about it. But the the thing is, um, so much of it was self-directed. And um, I, I began to see w- what... Uh, in nature, the art, the design itself was reflecting um, because the the language comes from place and because uh, we're Hualmoch, we come from place and because the designs come from this place, I really felt like if I l- spent enough time outside and I looked around and I observed the life around us, I would begin to see what was happening in this. Um, and somebody said, uh, one of the elders in a, in a Chiam community said, you know, nobody was making art traditionally, historically. Nobody had the time. We were surviving. And the designs themselves serve a purpose. And at the time, the designs were, were um, f- from the people who they were meaningful to on the things they needed them to be on. There's probably a fancy way to say that. No, that but, was well said. <laughs> but, but what I mean is they, 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 that a design served a, a spiritual purpose. And so to honor that, uh, I, I don't just put designs on cups. I don't just make T-shirts, you know. Uh, I'm a plain T-shirt kind of a person. But... Part of that comes from my understanding of the value of this work. And so if I make a piece and I release it out into the world somehow, I, I'm automatically obligated in, in my own heart and mind to feel like it's got to mean something based on not what I'm dreaming it up to be, because I feel like that happens a lot now. Someone paints a bear and then says, a bear means family or paints a bear and says, this is directly related to, you know, the depletion of the bear population due to conservation officers shooting them because they're eating garbage bins or whatever. And all that stuff is really important. Um, But what I think is also very important is continuance. Continuance. We get to bring forward, even if it's difficult, bring it forward, carry it with us, share it. What does a bear mean? Somebody might say, what does that bear mean to you while I'm painting it? And, I, and I'll say, what does it mean to you? Because I'm not always in a position to share what it means to me. Because I 
um, I come from a bear family and that means a lot of things. And it's a very uh, personal and it's very intimate uh, and it's for our family to know. And so bears will mean something different to anybody. And so that's why I ask, what does this mean to you? Because it means all of those things. Mm -hmm.